Recognizing Jesus in new things. Or a theme we're following is, how do you know if it's a genuine move of God or not? Because we are coming up to an era in the world where God is going to bring the great ingathering, the hugest revival that's ever been, an awakening of the general community, and there's going to be an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit and all kinds of things are going to happen. At the same time, the enemy's trying to muddy the waters with all of his lying signs and lying wonders. So there's going to be a lot going on and we have to be able to distinguish the true from the fake in the midst of all of this. And as we read in today's scriptures, we're going to see that it wasn't easy even for his closest followers. For example, after he was raised from the dead, the guys on the road to Emmaus thought he was a stranger. Mary thought he was a gardener. His own disciples thought he was a spirit or a ghost, and yet it was Jesus. And so we really need to be well-versed on what the Bible says about this so we can pick a genuine move of God and understand, even if it's in a way that we've never seen, in a new form that we're not familiar with, but we'll know how to tell if it's really Jesus. So reading today from Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 6. When John heard while in prison the works of Christ, he sent a message by his disciples and said to him, that is to Jesus, Are you the coming one, or are we to expect another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and declare to John the things that you hear and see, the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the lepers being cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised, and the poor having the good news of the gospel preached to them. And blessed, happy, and well-off now is anyone who will not ever stumble into ensnaring sin because of me. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this important topic, we're asking that you would flood us with your spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know the things that are freely given to us and know the things that you've placed in your word that can help us to decipher what comes in the future, what is genuinely from you and what isn't. We ask for your wisdom and revelation right now in Jesus' name. We thank you in advance because, of course, the answer is yes. Amen. I remember coming home from work one day when I was teaching at the Bible College and I was able to walk home and we were living at the Gold Coast and I came around the corner where my house was. I walked home and we had palm trees right along the front of the house. And I went around the corner and on the first palm tree was a pink ribbon. I was really upset. All I could think about was that song that said, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. And I was just thinking to myself, oh, what kind of a joke is this? Someone knows we're musicians and they've tied this ribbon round the tree to kind of have a go at us. So I tore it off. And then when I took a few more steps, I realized there was one on all of our palm trees. And then I thought, hang on a minute, maybe I shouldn't tear this off. And it turns out that it was actually a, quote, move of the council. <laughs> the council worker had come along and tied these ribbons on there to show that this was a tree that was getting close to the power lines and something had to be done about it. But I mistook a genuine move of the Gold Coast City Council as a move of a prankster. I'd made a mistake. Amen. And one day we had a friend at church who was working in the optometrist shop 
And so she invited us to come down and she would look after us. So we went into the optometrist shop and I bought this awesome set of Ray-Bans. And I remember her playing around behind the counter for a long time. And when I opened up the thing, what she had actually done, she'd put a whole lot of things in there as gifts. She put the little beaded things in there that go around your neck and hold the glasses when you drop them, cleaning cloths, a whole lot of things were in that little bag. And when I opened it, I mistook it, not as a love gift from a good friend, I mistook it as a gimmick from the shop. So I started pulling it off. How embarrassing, how rejecting of her love, because I misunderstood something that was genuine for something that was false. I remember once we're doing a great big concert in Brisbane. We traveled all the way up there. I was out in the west of Brisbane. It was a huge rally and an outreach. We'd set up our band, we'd rehearsed. And when we started to sing that night, I heard this unusual sound coming out of my fallback. It was a man's voice. And I was rushing to the sound desk and I say, there's an open mic somewhere and I can hear a strange voice coming through. Turn it off. And they're looking at me saying, there's no strange mics on. Totally distracted me from the concert. Turned out it was one of my best friends singing on the other side of the stage and his voice had accidentally got turned into my fallback. But I mistook it as a stranger. You know, these kind of mistakes are not good and they're very costly. And where there's been great moves of God in the past, they have been so misunderstood by people. You know, back in the day, there was a guy here in Australia called Clark Taylor. And God used him mightily in signs and wonders and healings, brought revival to so many people. But a lot of even good ministers did not understand what he was doing and they dismissed it. They judged it. He used to lay hands on the sick. He used to put his hand on someone's shoulder like that. He laid his hand on their shoulder and they were saying about him that he's got them in a sleeper grip and that's why they fall down. Others were saying it's all hocus pocus. It's psychic powers, greatly misunderstanding that that was a move of God in his early days. When Rodney Howard Brown started, people misunderstood that. You know, the Bible talks about signs and wonders. Wonders make you wonder. And what you wonder is, is this really God or not? And you have to dig to find out. And people said that Rodney Howard Brown was of the devil. And I heard him speak once and he said, I never got a chance to meet the devil. In other words, he never backslid even as a teenager because his parents were so astute and so sharp in the spirit that they would be getting words of knowledge at the meal table about sins they might think of doing tomorrow, way before they ever did it. So he said, I never got a chance to sin and to meet the devil. So I don't know how they could say this is of the devil. Some people said he was releasing laughing gas in the auditoriums. That's why there was spontaneous laughter. Because laughter was happening. It was outside of the familiar to these otherwise good Christians. And so instead of giving it time and digging in the word of God to find out could this possibly be a move of God, they outright condemned it and came up with their own reasons for what was happening, which was really, really, when you think about it, getting close to insulting the Spirit of God who was doing it. When the Toronto revival started, I went across there to look at it, and I remember what I saw, but other people were coming back and saying, it's not a move of God. People are making animal noises and 
they're making sort of rude noises and things like that. And I'm thinking, well, people fell down under the power of God. Not many of them made any noise. In an audience of 5,000 people, maybe one in a hundred were doing overt signs. But of course, in an audience of 5,000, that's 50 people. So it looked like a lot of people. But when you brought it back home to church, that's not much. It's only a low percentage, 1%. And so you can't judge a whole thing by that. And so you have to have other criteria to judge it by because nobody had seen those kind of things happening before. See, even when Jesus came, they thought he wasn't of God. And after his resurrection, his own disciples didn't recognize him because he was moving in a new phase of ministry. He was beginning his post-resurrection ministry, which he continues in today. And by the way, if he can appear to people in the Bible post-resurrection, he can appear to anybody today if there's a need for it. Amen. So the Pharisees, when he turned up, thought he was a blasphemer and they ended up killing him for that issue. Mary thought he was the gardener after he was resurrected. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus thought he was a stranger. When he appeared to the disciples, they thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a ghost when he appeared walking on water too. That's a bad mistake for a follower of Jesus to attribute a move of God to an evil spirit or a demon or a specter or a ghost. That, that's not good. His own family thought he was losing it. Some other people thought he was lunatic. He went into Nazareth. They thought he was a false prophet or something and tried to kill him by throwing him off the cliff. So today, how can we know the new things that God does are really him? Remember, he says in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, do not remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'll even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What will the new thing be? If God hasn't created it yet, we can't say, oh, that'll be the same as I saw before. It'll be the same as what God did over here. No, he says, I'm doing a new thing. Shall you not know it? It's important that we understand that God is going to do something new, different, new signs, new wonders, and we have to be smart to not attribute any of these things to the devil unless we really do know it's of the devil because at the same time, he's going to be bringing his lying signs and wonders. And I'm glad that throughout my time following Jesus, he opened up the scripture to me and showed me a couple of things you can see in the Bible where people failed to recognize Jesus, misunderstood him in new moves, and there were things in those scriptures that should have told them, and we need to learn from these things. So again, the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, 19 says, I'm going to do something new. It's already happening. Don't you recognize it? Well, I don't want to be someone that doesn't, and I trust you don't either. So let's look at this today as we try to understand the answer to this question. How do you know if it's a genuine move of God? Today, we look at a summary of biblical ways of unmistakably identifying Jesus when he's at work in new and unfamiliar ways. Number one, 
look for supernatural support. This is found in Mark chapter 6, verses 48 to 51. Then he, this is Jesus, saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. That's not good. (laughs) That is not good at all. They hadn't seen Jesus do this before. It was a completely new thing for them. They'd never experienced it. But their background somehow taught them, if you see an apparition or something walking in a storm, that's a demon, a spectre, a ghost, an evil spirit. They didn't think it could possibly be Jesus. And they cried out. It says, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then went up into the boat and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. They called signs and wonders and they were certainly wondering. So they didn't recognize Jesus when he was walking on the sea, but they could have if they understood what we need to learn from this is that Jesus is in a new move of God. The storm rages because people are often misunderstanding it, speaking against it. It's controversial, but does it have the evidence of supernatural support in a place and a time where there's no other way it could be supported? I believe this is a very clear-cut way for us to recognize if God's in it. Does it have the evidence of God supporting it despite turbulent and contrary circumstances? For example, when Kenneth and Gloria Copeland started, there was much controversy and persecution that surrounded their ministry, but their ministry grew quickly and was constantly supported. They kept getting new aeroplanes, new ministry headquarters, and it just kept expanding and growing. I mean, when you look back on it, all he was doing was teaching the word of God and encouraging people to have faith in God. But it was controversial because people hadn't seen this before. And we were controversial when we started our music. People were Is it really from God? Is that right? Are they going to lead people back into the pubs? Are they going to do this? But we didn't actually hear much of the controversy ourselves. We were too busy following Jesus and he always provided for us. Even when I had to go out and shift furniture or set up library shelves, God always provided and we always lived by faith as musicians and as a ministry ever since we started really as musicians many years ago. So I want to encourage you today, make sure you don't judge prematurely something just because you don't understand it. So that really is the first sub-theme today is when God moves in this next move, there will be things you do not understand initially. Don't judge it hastily. Amen. And the first thing to watch for is, is there evidence of supernatural support? When Billy Graham came, you know, there was a lot of controversy around him, partly because one said, how can he be of God? He's preaching from a red Bible instead of a black one. But there was constant supernatural provision for his ministry. So the first one is look for supernatural support. 
Point two today in deciding whether it really is a move of God is this one. Look and listen for supernatural fruit and for the poor receiving the gospel. And when I say supernatural fruit, I'm talking about it's the fruit of Jesus. Not just sensational signs, not just supernatural occurrences, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of them. Could be a flying saucer. It could be things that people do. I remember once I heard this story of a preacher walked into a room and they were doing some kind of a seance. They had levitated a table up near the ceiling. And when he went in, he didn't question whether it was supernatural or not. He just said, in the name of Jesus, get down from there. And the table came crashing down. So it was supernatural, but it wasn't of God. And he knew it straight away. So listen to what Jesus says to John the Baptist. Now, remember, John was the one sent ahead of Jesus to point him out, because remember, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John's mother certainly knew that Jesus had a supernatural birth because Mary went to his mother when she was pregnant as a teenager out of wedlock and she needed somebody. She went to Elizabeth, who also had received a supernatural pregnancy. Hers wasn't done out of wedlock. It wasn't an immaculate conception, but she understood a supernatural conception. And I'm sure Mary would have talked to her. I mean, can you imagine a teenage girl staying with somebody who understands her for three months and not sharing these details? I believe she must have. And so eventually I think John would have known those stories. And yet John, after he'd pointed out Jesus, he baptized Jesus, saw the Spirit coming like a dove on him, and he said, I'm not worthy to untie his shoelaces. Later, John was put in prison. Then he had doubts. See, even John, somebody in that position, could doubt whether Jesus in his new ministry was really a move of God. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 6. When John heard while in prison the works of Christ, he sent a message by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we expect another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and declare to John what you see and here. The blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the lepers being cleansed, the deaf hearing, and the dead being raised, and the poor receiving the good news of the gospel. Jesus sent these disciples back to John with this list as proof positive that he really is the Christ, that is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, he's the coming one, and he is the one that they were to expect. What's the list again? They're looking for the signs that confirm Jesus. I'm going to say a bit more about that in a moment, but it's the blind seeing, the lame walking, lepers cleansed, deaf hearing, dead raised, poor receiving the gospel. This is not a sign like the light went off, the light went on, the door slammed shut by itself. Oh, the door opened and the wind blew in. You know, that's not the signs of Jesus. These are the signs of Jesus that we've got to watch for. And note the last one, the poor receiving the gospel. Kind of goes with the previous point where it's a ministry that would somehow need supernatural support. Amen. See, if the rich are in a church and they're all tithing, you don't think, well, yes, that is supernatural support, but it's not really that 
supernaturally startling if everybody's taught about tithing and they get blessed. But when you've got someone out preaching to the poor who have got no means of supporting the preacher and yet the preacher is supported, then there's that kind of evidence that I'm talking about. And the miracles of Jesus are very life-giving miracles. They're healing miracles. They're life-bringing miracles. They help people. Amen. And this list, I believe, stands today. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor having the gospel preached to them. Amen. So Jesus himself used these very signs as proof of his ministry that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, etc. Now listen to what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, reading from the NLT, Acts 2.22. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him. It doesn't say God endorsed Bill Smith for doing miracles and signs and wonders. It doesn't say that. It says God endorses Jesus through these signs and wonders. Now, if I'm used by God to do a miracle in his name, it doesn't confirm that I'm anything special. It confirms that Jesus is. That's who the signs and wonders confirm. So whenever you see the signs of Jesus, you know it's a confirmation of Jesus and it's a confirmation that Jesus is at work here. Because remember, we have, we ministers, right? We have this ministry or this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots. Sometimes we don't see past the clay pot to recognize Jesus at work. We've got to really watch for that, amen? That's why Hebrews 12 says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's always going to be clay pots and a lot of them aren't perfect. I even shouted to mention some of the names I mentioned earlier on because there was definitely a lot of clay in their pots, but it was Jesus at work. Now, we also have to be aware of these lying, false supernatural signs and miracles. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 talks of the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So power doesn't prove it's of God. Signs aren't always from God. And wonders aren't always from God. But the ones Jesus listed are signs of him. I always remember this story that Jürgen Methusius told one day when he was preaching at Dandenong, back in the days when he was the youth pastor at Christian City Church in Sydney. He said one day he had this moment where he went out to visit some boys that were kind of interested in the gospel or maybe fallen away from the youth group. And they said, we saw the power of Satan. It was so strong. We're in a room and the power of Satan came in and the light went off and the light went on. And Jürgen laughed at him. He said, even I could do that, walk over the light switch and just turn it on and off. He said, when my God spoke, let there be light. The whole universe was slung into being and it's still expanding at the speed of light. That's something that the devil can't do. Amen. The light went on, the light went off. It might be supernatural. It might be a sign, but no one was healed. The lame weren't walking. The deaf weren't hearing. The dead weren't raised up. 
There wasn't joy and the gospel certainly wasn't being preached and there was no evidence of supernatural support. So we don't have to worry about those lying signs and wonders. They are not indicators of Jesus. Amen. We also have to remember when it comes to signs and wonders and various other things that Jesus does in his new move, that one of his ministries is being the rock of offence or a stumbling stone. 1 Peter 2, 6-8 says, Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the quote from the Old Testament applies, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble at it. So we have to remember to watch out for the stumbling stone because that's part of Jesus' ministry. And if we're believers and if we know the way to tell if it's God, then we won't stumble when we see these things because I'm saying it again, many people in the past have stumbled over each move of God as it has come. Amen. And we all know, of course, that when Moses came in to speak to Pharaoh, the first few signs he did in front of Pharaoh, the false magicians were able to duplicate those signs until Moses' staff ate their staff. In other words, they threw their staff down and became snakes. <laughs> and Moses' rod ate their snakes. <laughs> That's funny. So we have to remember that there are lying signs and wonders and we need to know how to distinguish the difference. See, if someone comes in with a prophetic gift, this has happened in the past. A man came in with a prophetic gift, but he wasn't using it for God. He called someone out in the congregation. He said, at home, in your dressing table, in the right-hand drawer, you have a special gem or a ring or a jewel from your grandmother, which you've kept safe in there. And God is telling you to get that out and give it to me. And it was very supernatural because it was such an accurate word of knowledge about what they had, where it was, what it was. But the word of wisdom that followed on was not, absolutely not, a sign from God, because he told them, get it out and give it to me. That is a lie straight out of the pit of hell, which is not from God, because God's prophetic words will not do that. Amen. So don't just ask, is it supernatural? Ask, does it have the supernatural fruit of Jesus? The blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the lepers being cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised up, and the poor receiving the gospel. Amen. If you see some street kids testifying, someone's getting their leg lengthened, or they're getting their deaf ears open, things like that, these are the signs of Jesus. Number three today, how do we know if it's a genuine move of God? Look for the element of resurrection in suffering. This is Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 22. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. That's true. That was Jesus telling about what was going to happen, a true prophetic word. Crucifixion is part of the Jesus ministry. But this is what happened next. 
Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I mean, for us to be rebuking Jesus is like, hang on, something's going in the wrong direction here. And he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, first of all, he's stumbling over the correct understanding of what Lord means, because if Jesus is Lord, he should not be telling Jesus about what he should and shouldn't be doing. Jesus should be telling him and he's telling him, you're not going to die. But death on the cross was why Jesus came. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And the cross is part of the Jesus life and ministry. Perhaps Peter didn't hear him say, I'm going to be raised the third day. Obviously, they didn't hear that. So he fought against it. He misunderstood the next move of God in Jesus as something that was wrong, completely wrong, and he tried to stop it from happening. That's a bad mistake for a follower of Jesus, and I certainly do not want to make that mistake. We need to understand that Jesus' death and the subsequent resurrection is from God. Obviously it is, or none of us would be here, and it is part of what he calls us to do. Jesus spoke of himself like this. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many more kernels or grains of wheat, a plentiful harvest of new ones or of new lives. So we have to understand that something dying doesn't preclude it being a move of God. It's only not a move of God if there's no element of resurrection with it. So Jesus died, but like the grain of wheat, he produced a harvest of multiplication. So if you're working in a ministry and the pastor wants to shut it down, don't ask about it just being a death. Do ask, is there an element of resurrection? Is this coming back? You know, as I've said many times, the first way of ministering to children is certain old colouring books and the flannel graph. That changed over into videos and exciting things and games kids play and music for them. Totally different in style. But when that one died, a new and more fruitful one for the next season was resurrected and grew up out of it. And it's the same with facets of your life, pruning off this ministry. You know, Jesus said he prunes the branches that produce fruit so that they'll produce even more fruit. So it's not the question, is something dying? Because Jesus said you have to take up your cross daily and follow him. Identifying with the cross is always part of the Christian life. The issue is, does it have the element of resurrection with it? Amen. So in conclusion, how do you know if it's a genuine move of God? We've looked at three things today. This is a series. There's nine points in this all together. Next week, we'll look at another three. But the first three were, look for supernatural support. Number two, look and listen for supernatural fruit and the poor receiving the gospel. And number three, look for the element of resurrection in suffering. Now, before I pray for everybody, I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Do you understand that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't the end of his ministry. It wasn't the end of everything he could do, but it was absolutely necessary for him to be tortured, blasphemed, given a false arrest and a 
false trial, a wrongful imprisonment, to be killed in a completely illegitimate, unjust way because he wasn't dying for himself. It was necessary that he go through that to pay for your sin and my sin. And then the good news is that because it was a move of God, there was always the element of resurrection. And Jesus rose from the dead three days later, which is a huge miracle in itself, proves there's life after death. But even more amazing to most of us is the fact that when he died, he died paying for your sin and my sin. But when he rose from the dead, he proved that his death had paid for it. And now today, to receive his forgiveness, to receive the eternal life that he proves is available, to have your name in his Lamb's book of life, and to be part of his kingdom and thus going to heaven and enjoying Jesus for eternity, is available to you if you'll simply receive what he's done, receive him as your saviour, confess him as your Lord, and put your complete faith in him, and believe today that your sin is forgiven, and that as a result, you are being born again right now. And I'll show you exactly how to receive today. All you have to do is say this prayer after me, which is based on the scriptures that promise it. Ones like this, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Say this prayer after me. Say it to God sincerely from your heart and believe today that what he's done is enough to cleanse you of your sin and to give you his new birth right now. Say this, Jesus, you repeat that, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn from my old life. Today, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my saviour. I repent of all my sin. I confess you are my Lord. I receive your new birth. And I believe that right now, I'm born again. My name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I will follow Jesus from this day forward. And I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'm just going to pray for you now. I'm going to pray for other people as well. And Father, I pray for all of us today that you would give us the wisdom, the knowledge and the scriptural ways to recognize the move of God and that we can all walk in lockstep, agreeing on the things that you are doing and fully rejecting the things that are lying and fakes from the devil in Jesus name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today.